Oh my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict Ironjaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I, your possibly possessed host, Josh Baker, cover six new-to-me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven at the end. This episode contains body takeovers, reflective revenge, and evil entities. Let's all come up with a super secret handshake so that weird future assassins can't use our bodies for nefarious purposes. We can talk about scary movies too. Ahoy there, mateys! It's Spoilerbeard, your favorite pirate. I'm here to let ye know that this episode is going to have tons of spoilers. I'm just doing a blanket warning because so many of the movies are new. Ye have been spoiler warned. Oh yeah, lots of new stuff this time around. Thanks for the warning, spoiler beard. I almost forgot you existed. Number 1, Possessor 2020, directed by Brandon Cronenberg. Voss, an assassin that possesses people's bodies with the help of technology to assassinate targets, takes control of a man named Colin. Things aren't going as smoothly as they normally do. Voss kills her targets, but Colin starts taking control back after Voss is unable to kill herself to exit the body. Turns out one of the targets is still alive. Colin uses bits of Voss's memories that he's seen to find her ex-husband's house. Colin kills Voss's husband with her agreement. Voss takes control back from Colin but still can't kill herself. Her son fatally stabs her in the neck. Her son was possessed by her boss, Gerder. Before dying, Voss kills her son. Voss is debriefed and shows a lack of empathy compared to before the mission. Voss and Gerder are the killers. Gerder kills Colin, who I believe could have continued living as himself if Voss was ejected in some way other than killing him. Maybe the only way for Voss to leave the body was for Colin to die, though. Either way, Gerder was behind Colin's death. Possessor was written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg, the son of David Cronenberg. I haven't seen much of David's stuff. I've only seen The Fly and Videodrome. I need to check out... Shivers, Rabid, The Brood, Scanners, The Dead Zone, Dead Ringers, Naked Lunch, and Existence. Jeez, that's a, that's a lot of movies I haven't seen. A huge Cronenberg blind spot. Why am I even talking about David Cronenberg? Possessor is his son's movie. Well, I brought up Dad because I've seen people say that Brandon has made an amazing Cronenberg movie with Possessor. What is a Cronenberg movie? I'm not a great person to... Answer that, looking at my substantial Cronenberg backlog, but I'll try my best anyway. A Cronenberg movie is a film with a mixture of body horror and technology that makes a statement about society. That sounds like a correctish surface level answer. Possessor fits that mold. It includes body horror like when Voss's head is crushed and then worn as a mask. There's body possessing technology 
What's this incredible technology used for? Capitalistic gain through assassinations, of course. As far as gore goes, I checked out the uncut version. I braced myself for some over-the-top gratuitous body destruction, but after seeing it, I wouldn't say there is too much gore. The gore helps paint a picture of who Voss is. Voss is always provided a gun to take out her targets, but almost always forgoes using one. Instead, Voss likes using knives and fire pokers. Anything she can really get personal with. Voss enjoys brutally murdering people. There's the cliche question, is something for business or pleasure? Killing people is obviously both for Voss. Seeing the ways in which she dispatches targets shows how much she truly enjoys her job and helps explain why she's willing to put herself at risk to continue doing it. In short, the gore is masterfully done, practical, and disturbing. A big thing that happens in the movie is Voss's complete loss of empathy. There are two debriefings. In the first one, Voss still feels remorse about killing a butterfly. After the second one, where her ex-husband and son ended up dying during the mission, she no longer feels remorse. She wanted them dead but couldn't do it herself. She loves murder and needed them taken care of. My only problem with this butterfly reveal is that the movie ends right after Voss talks about it. In the original debriefing, there was another item after it. I'm stupid. Long-time listeners know that. Since the movie just went to credits after Voss was talking about the butterfly for a brief period, I assumed she was going to continue talking about how she regretted killing it and move on to the next item. It would have helped hammer the point home by having Voss move on to the next item before rolling the credits. Acting. The acting in this is incredible. Christopher Abbott does most of the heavy lifting, seeing as he has to portray both normal Colin and Voss-possessed Colin. He's great. He's no stranger to playing a role in a weird artsy horror movie. He was also the lead in Piercing, another movie I highly recommend. Andrea Riseborough played Voss and was also fantastic. It took me way too long to realize I recognized her from Mandy. One of my favorite parts with her is where she's practicing normal things to say before seeing her ex-husband and son. Possessor is a beautiful movie. The production design is astounding. The cinematography and sound design come together perfectly to create this gross, futuristic world. The deliberate, slower pacing works for the most part, but Possessor does drag a tad here and there. The biggest subversion of expectations is Sean Bean surviving the movie. He survives the assassination attempt. It's possible that Voss finished the job somehow, seeing as there's a strange scene where she is looking at him in a wheelchair, but as far as I know, Sean Bean did the impossible and survived. Possessor is a must for horror fans that aren't afraid of a slower ride. Number 2, Freaky 2020, directed by Christopher Landon. A serial killer called the Blissfield Butcher stabs a girl named Millie with a special dagger called Ladola that causes them to switch bodies. Millie finds out she needs to stab the Butcher with Ladola within 24 hours to switch back. The Butcher continues killing in Millie's body as Millie and her friends Nyla and Josh try to capture the Butcher, get Ladola, and evade the police. After hijinks, Millie is able to stab the Butcher and get her body back right as police show up. Police shoot the Butcher, but he survives and goes to Millie's house. Millie gets the upper hand and kills the Butcher. The Blissfield Butcher is the killer. It's Freaky Friday, but instead of a mother and daughter switching bodies, it's a high schooler and a killer. That's a fun concept that Freaky never really capitalizes on. To start off, Freaky is entertaining and worth checking out in these times where there's barely anything new coming out. I went to the theater to see it. 
a drive-in theater, of course. I believe I've only been to a drive-in one other time to see a Texas Chainsaw Massacre Evil Dead 2 double feature. For the most part, I had a great time at the drive-in. Was it annoying that cars around me would constantly put their lights on randomly? Yep. The most frustrating part of my drive-in experience was that the drive-in I went to allowed cars to show up unforgivably late. The movie was slated to start at 7.20. It actually started around 7.40. A car was driving around with their lights on looking for a spot at 8. They did multiple laps before parking next to my car. There weren't any open spots next to my car due to social distancing. Luckily, the truck in front of me decided to leave, allowing me to throw the car in neutral and stealthily snag a much better spot and avoid the late car that was probably infested with COVID. I'm assuming someone that has the gall to drive around with their lights on at a drive-in theater when they are 40 minutes late are riddled with the virus. Other people aside, the drive-in was a great time. Freaky was written by Christopher Landon and Michael Kennedy. Both men are gay. I learned this after watching the movie and found it surprising, seeing as how Millie's friend Josh is about as close as you can get to Hollywood's stereotypical sassy gay character. Josh didn't come off as a character actually written by gay men. Who am I to call that out though, I guess. There's an incredibly awkward scene that doesn't make any sense. Millie is into this boy named Booker. It's obvious that Booker is also into Millie. Booker decides to have his first kiss with Millie while she's in the butcher's body. Um, hmm? This isn't played for laughs or anything. Booker just straight up smooches Vince Vaughn. Why would Booker be compelled to kiss the lips of a serial killer? You don't know where Vince Vaughn's gross murderer lips have been? I was hoping this was going to lead to a twist where Booker reveals that Kissing the butcher made him realize he's actually gay. I thought that's where that was going. Nope. That would have made the kiss have a purpose and not just be strange. One of my biggest issues with Freaky is that Vince Vaughn is the killer. Normal looking Vince Vaughn. He's not given scars. He's not grimed up. He's just regular. old Vince Vaughn. I was thinking of ways to spice up the movie and at the top of the list is making the butcher a disgusting looking dude. Think Jason or Freddy. That would have made the kiss scene at least have a comedic element. It also would have heightened the absurdity of the situation. Since Millie is in Vince's body and the police are looking for Vince, she ends up needing a disguise. The disguise chosen is a rubber, full-head Aaron Rodgers mask. This isn't funny, it's baffling. If anything, that disguise makes Millie way more conspicuous. A silly wig and fake beard combo would have been a much better approach. Millie's mom is a wino. She passes out and doesn't pick up Millie, which is the reason why Millie ends up prey for the butcher. Millie's dad is dead. I thought it would be funny if Millie revealed that her dad was killed after her mom passed out and didn't pick him up. You passed out and left me to be stabbed to death by a deranged killer, just like how you left dad. What can I say? I like stupid stuff. Funnily enough, mom's drinking ends up saving the day since she has an empty bottle to smash over the butcher's head at the end of the movie due to her crippling alcoholism. There are multiple lines of dialogue that can easily be turned into jokes. Josh tells an anecdote about how people found out a girl put a carrot in her vagina. He uses a different word for vagina. Nyla then says, I hate that word. It would have been funny if instead of switching the other word to vagina, he switched carrot to vegetable. Speaking of lines about vaginas that could have been funny, 
A jock character who sexually harasses Butcher Millie is told by Butcher Millie that he makes her nethers dry. Later on, the jock says he doesn't make any girl's nethers dry. Butcher Millie should have retorted with, You make your mom's nethers wet? This is a family-friendly horror podcast. We don't say the P word here. Did I mention that jock character and two of his friends attempt to force themselves on Millie? Yep. Butcher Millie murders them all. Outside of the four teens in the opening of the movie, the Butcher doesn't kill anyone that's not a completely horrible person. Besides the jocks, the Butcher only kills one other person while in Millie's body. Millie's woodshop teacher who's comically evil. That's not true, I just remembered. Butcher Millie freezes a girl to death. Well, maybe she could have been thawed. Millie ends up knocking over Ice Cube Girl and shattering her into a million pieces. Based on the documentary, Jason X, that girl could have been brought back to life, eventually. Oh snap, is Millie a killer? Frozen Girl aside, Freaky definitely would have benefited from some likable characters being murdered. Give us stakes. I knew there was no chance that Nyla or Josh would die. The kills that are included in Freaky are solid. A bottle is forced down a kid's throat until it smashes. The shop teacher is halved with a table saw. A frozen girl shatters. And a gaggle of rapists are dispatched with a chainsaw. The chainsaw bits could have been a little more gratuitous. The gore appeared mostly practical and is fantastic. It's a level of gore you wouldn't expect from a Blumhouse production. Vince Vaughn's performance is the strongest of the bunch. It's not amazing, but it's obvious he had a lot of fun doing it. Given the premise of Freaky, a heavy helping of Ham from the entire cast would have been beneficial. There's no complete powerhouse performance like Jessica Ross in Happy Death Day. Director-writer of Freaky also wrote and directed the Happy Death Day movies, which are a much better time. Freaky doesn't have enough fun with a great premise. It's a mediocre switcheroo movie and slasher. It's not spectacular, but given the current big movie drought we're in, consider checking out Freaky if you just want to see something new. When I got home from the drive-in, I watched the Lindsay Lohan, Jamie Lee Curtis Freaky Friday. Now that's a film. Number 3, Mirror Mirror, 1990, directed by Marina Sargenti. A girl kills her twin after attempting to cover a mirror. Years later, a goth named Megan and her mom move into the house where the sororicide took place. The mirror was removed from the house but is somehow still in Megan's room. Megan decides to keep it. Megan goes to school and meets a girl named Nikki who's nice. Pretty much everyone else is mean to Megan. Megan realizes the mirror has power and starts using it to kill. The mirror ends up controlling Megan. Nikki is able to make Megan see that the mirror is bad. Megan kills herself to stop the mirror. Nikki asks the mirror to put everything back to the way it was. Nikki and Megan are sent back to the past and become the original twins. Megan, who's still dead, takes the place of the murdered twin, and Nikki becomes her sister. The mirror and Megan are the killers. Mirror Mirror is a movie that has its issues but is oddly compelling. It's so close to being something truly great. There is a layer of polish that's missing. A lot of recognizable actors appear in Mirror Mirror. There's Yvonne DiCarlo, who was Lily Munster. Steven Tobolowski plays a teacher just like he does in the Jamie Lee Curtis, Lindsay Lohan, Freaky Friday. Yes, this is the second time that masterpiece has been brought up in this episode. Karen Black, who I just saw in a House of a Thousand Corpses rewatch, plays Megan's mom. Quick side note, Mr. Zombie, what the hell was going on when you made that? I still enjoy it, but I think I'd... Like it a lot more without all the random fever dream editing and color inversion. 
The biggest star by far is Winona Ryder, who reprises her role as Lydia Dietz. Lydia's a bit older now, and everyone calls her Megan. The jig is up. Winona Ryder isn't in the movie. Megan, the goth, was actually played by Rainbow Harvest. You heard me right, Rainbow Harvest. Rainbow looks eerily like Winona. The acting is mostly fine, but no one really gives an amazing performance. Mirror Mirror, like so many other movies, is anti-goth propaganda. Movies back in the 80s and 90s loved to make goths into evil characters with supernatural abilities. It's a weird trend. Pet warning, the mirror eats two dogs. You see the first dog's dead body lying on a counter, which looks disturbingly realistic, but it's not gory besides a few drops of what I'm hoping was fake blood by the dog's mouth. Throughout Mirror Mirror, there's a heavy focus on the color blue, which gave it a very unique look. The high schoolers could have easily been told to wear whatever they wanted, but having everyone wear blue really added to the atmosphere and feel of the film, while also making the very goth Megan stick out even more as an outcast. There are a decent amount of kills in Mirror Mirror. Most of the kills are stab and slash based. Class is the main murder weapon. Two kills that stand out are the steamy shower and garbage disposal mishap. The popular mean girl is cooked alive while alone in the gym showers, and Megan's mom's hand is detached from her body by spinning sink blades. I've seen way too many movies to ever consider putting one of my hands down a drain that has a garbage disposal in it that's waiting to slice up and dice up my mitts. Getting to go to town on a person's hand is probably like winning the lottery to a garbage disposal. I know they aren't sentient, but if they were, they'd be hungry for hands. The gore is done well. It's nice and practical. The biggest issue with Mirror Mirror is the pacing. At a certain point, things grind to a halt. The climax is drawn out to such an extent that my brain started to check out. It was obvious where things were going. A cliche ending doesn't necessarily ruin a movie, but a prolonged cliche ending is brutal. Even though it's very slow going towards the end, Mirror Mirror has a mesmerizing quality. It isn't worthy of a huge recommendation, but it's still a fun time. They really should have kept the original title, which was The Black Glass. Number 4, The Mortuary Collection, 2019, directed by Ryan Spindle. A girl named Sam applies for a job in a mortuary run by Montgomery Dark. Dark tells her stories of people who died. He talks about a thief that was killed by an unspeakable tentacle monster, a frat bro that died after lying about using protection, and a catatonic wife that was murdered by her worn-out husband. Sam then tells Dark a story about a boy that just had a funeral at the mortuary house. Sam reveals she's actually the Tooth Fairy Killer, a child murderer who killed the boy and many others. The Tooth Fairy Killer tries to kill Dark, but ends up being attacked by children she's killed. She ends up stuck in the mortuary forever, and Dark is finally able to leave. Once outside the building, Dark turns into dust. A tentacle monster, unprotected sex, worn-out husband, time, and the Tooth Fairy Killer are the killers. The Mortuary Collection is presented as an anthology, but it's all directed and written by the same person. Having the same director throughout does help keep a consistent aesthetic. MC is a gorgeous film. The set design, costuming, and color correction are fantastic. All the acting is relatively solid throughout. Clancy Brown played Montgomery Dark. He's good as the old weirdo. One issue with Dark is constant changes in his makeup. 
It's possible that different lighting made the old kook's face paint look different and the makeup itself stayed the same the entire shoot. In one shot, he'll have pronounced blue spots on his head that are entirely gone in the next. His flakiness appeared to change also. Old guy's gotta be flaky. Since MC is presented as an anthology, there has to be a best and worst segment. Hmm, the best segment. Uh, the last segment, which is the I'm actually the killer, not the babysitter switcheroo extravaganza, is probably the most fun, but I'm not really singing its praises. None of the segments really made me think anything other than, huh, that's mildly entertaining. This is normally a big problem with anthologies, but when one person takes over for everything, it's easy to have a great and memorable finished product like with Trick or Treat. The biggest issue with the Mortuary Collection is how predictable the stories are. Thief trying to get into a locked medicine cabinet? There must be something that'll kill them in there. Frat bro removes a condom after being asked to wear one? He's as good as dead. Quick condom tangent. In the frat bro segment, he puts on the rubber. He then asks if they can switch positions, gets behind the girl, and removes it. Okay, sure. Maybe she won't realize the Jimmy's gone. Thing is, the duo then continues to bang it out for at least three more hours, no joke, as they change to various positions. You're telling me that the girl didn't see or happen to touch the French letter missing member at any point during that insanely long bang sesh? I'm not buying that. It's like you're trying to sell me a porcelain horse figurine that's obviously been smashed into a million pieces. Back to the predictability. Dude has a wife that's completely unresponsive. He's going to start killing her only for her to react after it's too late. Yup, shocker. If I ever end up in the state that the wife is in in the movie where I can't speak, move, and can barely eat blended up slop, put a couple bullets in my face, please. I should be more specific. Destroy my brain with prejudice. The only story that's not completely predictable is the one with the switcheroo. It's a great switcheroo, actually. The bloody man from outside is really the babysitter? Gosh darn, I didn't see that coming. Huge kudos for the Mortuary Collection having the chutzpah to include the cooking of a dead child in the movie. Coming home and finding little Timmy in the oven is an insanely disturbing thought. It seemed like there was a nice emphasis on practical effects. Sure, there was some liberal CGI use for the tentacly attack, but the frat bro's giant pregnant belly, dick explosion, wife's head hole, her ghost form, and the complete annihilation of the real babysitter's head all looked fantastic. Now, the dick explosion isn't on screen all that long, so it is possible that it was done using CGI. This is as good as time as any to bring up the wife's head hole. Husband man buys her one last present before poisoning her. The present is a little metal rabbit statue. Now, the rabbit's ears are a bit pointy, but they don't look insanely sharp. The wife who's sitting in a chair ends up falling unconscious, causing her face to fall down onto the rabbit statue that's on the table in front of her. Should the statue have gone into her brain through an eye socket? Yeah, that would have made sense. It doesn't. It goes into her brain a little above her eye, right through her skull. Skulls are thick. There's no way enough force was created from the wife falling over in her chair to drive that bunny into her brain through her thick skull. The Mortuary Collection is a decent time. It's not full of the most memorable stories, but you won't regret giving it your attention. Number 5, Cut, 2000, directed by Kimball Randall. 
Brad, a man playing a slasher named Scarman, is publicly called out and fired. Brad kills Hillary, the director of the movie. He's about to kill more people, but is taken out by his co-star, Vanessa. Every time the unfinished film is screened, people die. Film students decide to finish the film. They hire Vanessa to reprise her role and get to work. People start dying. The student director, Raffi, really wants to complete the movie since Hillary was her mom. It turns out Scarman is being brought back to life by people remembering the film. Scarman is defeated after the work print of the original film is destroyed. Raffi, Vanessa, and an original crew member survive. After some time passes, a new print is found which allows Scarman to become reality once more. Brad and Scarman are the killers. It's my understanding that the Scarman that is summoned by playing the movie is the made-up character becoming reality and not Brad. I was surfing the series of tubes that is the internet and saw someone say Cut is a great meta slasher. Is it? Not really. It doesn't have anything to say about the slasher genre. There are some references here and there, but making references to different movies doesn't make yours meta. Cut just follows the same cliches without doing anything new with them. I have no problem with the same old slasher cliches. The kills in the atmosphere are what's important in a slasher. Cut mostly takes place in two locations, a theater and a house where the original movie was filmed and is being finished. Neither of these locations are exciting. When it comes to kills, Cut has a decent variety and uses practical effects. There are throat slashes, decapitations, and stabs. The most creative kill is when a cop ends up landing on a spigot. That's not that exciting, is it? A character has a rod jammed through his neck. He somehow survives after pulling it out himself. If you ever end up in a similar situation, make sure to leave the rod in and let doctors remove it if you want any chance of survival. The best death is the destruction of Scarman. Destroying the original film destroys him, so Raffi burns it up with some help. This causes Scarman to melt while looking like a bubbling, distorted mess. His demise looks great. Scarman is a character with burns all over his body that is able to become reality when people start remembering him. That sounds familiar. It's just Freddy Krueger. Instead of a glove with razor fingers, Scarman uses a very unique pair of gardening shears that was modified to make decapitating easier. The shears look amazing. Scarman's mask looks like a crappy ripoff of Decker from Nightbreed. The Scarman mask didn't work, but the makeup effects for his burned skin were solid. The acting in Cut isn't special. It's crazy that Molly Ringwald and Kylie Minogue are in the movie. Ringwald played Vanessa and Minogue played Hillary. Cut's biggest problem is committing the cardinal slasher sin, which is being boring. There are huge lulls in the movie where nothing of interest happens. None of the characters are unique or memorable. There are drawn out scenes where characters that aren't interesting ramble on about nothing. None of the humor lands. Cut isn't even that bad of a movie. It's just mediocre. It's not a horribly made mess that's fun to laugh at. It's not an interesting meta commentary on slasher movies past. It's a mediocre slasher that's runtime feels way longer than it actually is due to the lack of entertaining content. Unless you're a Molly Ringwald superfan or something, there isn't any real reason to check out Cut. I had high hopes for a slasher from Australia, but was ultimately let down. Watch The Burning or any other slasher you've heard of instead. Turns out there's a reason why I had never heard of Cut until recently. Number 6, The Dark and the Wicked, 2020, directed by Brian Bertino. 
Louise and her brother Michael go back to the family farm after learning that their father has fallen ill. Their mother begged them not to come. After they arrive, their mom dices up her own hand when cutting vegetables and hangs herself. The siblings read her diary. Their mother wrote that something evil was playing with her and trying to take their father's soul. An entity torments the siblings by taking the forms of their loved ones and other random people. A ranch hand kills himself after being confronted by the entity. Michael leaves the ranch. When he arrives at his house, he sees that his wife has killed herself and their kids. So Michael allows the entity to make him kill himself. The entity tricked him and his family was actually still alive. The hospice nurse shows up at the ranch, attacks Louise, and kills herself. Louise stays with her father as he dies. After passing away, he's taken over by the entity and attacks Louise. A demonic entity is the killer. The entity compels people to kill themselves. The Dark and the Wicked is a spooky movie. I rarely watch movies that are actually trying to be scary for the podcast, since it's easier to have fun with horror that isn't taking itself too seriously. A bad slasher has a much higher chance of being fun compared to a bad horror movie that's trying to be truly frightening. Luckily, The Dark and the Wicked is a spooky good time. There are a few technical issues in regards to the sound quality. At first, I thought a character's dialogue was purposely distorted since that character was the evil entity, but there are multiple instances of poorly recorded dialogue that isn't spoken by a character being controlled by the entity. Distorted dialogue could work if it was intentional, but it would have to be done in a completely different manner. Besides some iffy recording, I only had two more gripes with the movie. The biggest gripe is that a demon face is shown very early on in the movie. It's easy to miss, but there is a frame where a ridiculous looking demon face is shown. It doesn't look good at all and isn't necessary. Having the face in the beginning of the movie hurt the dreadful atmosphere that was being cultivated. Never show your evil entity that early on, especially when it looks like a member of the Blue Man group. My other gripe is the old fast-forwarded head-shaking effect. It's never looked good. Luckily, it's only used once in the DW. Besides the head-shake and the Blue Man Group demon face, the DW has some genuinely eerie stuff in it. The best scene is when the ranch hand is confronted by the entity. The entity takes the form of Louise, all cut up in a nightgown. The entity howls and makes inhuman sounds as it continuously cuts its body using sporadic jerking motions while staring at the ranch hand. It's fantastic and haunting. It would be a perfect scene if the entity didn't speak in a human voice at all during the sequence, but the entity telling the ranch hand that it's his fault Luis is slicing herself up doesn't ruin the creepiness. The scene would have been even more unnerving if it lacked the added human element of the entity speaking as Luis. Mom dicing up her hand is horrifying. It's showcased in a way where you're unsure if it actually happened after the first chop. Mom then keeps at it. Even after that, I was wondering if that hand destruction actually happened or was all in the mom's head until the kids found the aftermath in the morning. The gore for it is well done and disturbing. The hospice nurse going to town on herself with knitting needles didn't hit home like a lot of the other sequences. Everything with the entity taking the mother's form and tormenting Michael was heavy on the heebie-jeebies. The dread and despair instilled as Michael comes home to find his family dead only for him to realize it was the entity playing tricks on him after allowing himself to be killed is fantastic. His wife and kids then coming home to find him really brings that horrible feeling home. One more gripe is that the wife's scream didn't have any weight to it. 
It didn't have the pain you'd expect from a scream made by someone who just found their dead loved one. Tony Collette set the bar high for that sort of scream in Hereditary. The acting from the main cast is decent. Marin Ireland is the standout by far as Luis. Michael Abbott Jr. was a little weaker as Michael in comparison. You don't believe he's nearly as overwhelmed by fear and grief like you do with Luis. The Dark and the Wicked is a good spooky time. It has a few technical issues, but those are overshadowed by the haunting scenes. There are jump scares here and there, but The Dark and the Wicked doesn't fully rely on them to create its unnerving atmosphere. If my mom tells me not to come home, I'll listen to her. Number 7, Demon's Tilt, 2019, developed by Wiz and War. Demon's Tilt is an addictively fun pinball game where you fight demons. I've never been too serious about pinball, but Demon's Tilt has made me a fiend for the lights and the dings. Pinball has always been fun. I went to a pinball museum in Asheville, North Carolina a while ago. Pay 15 bucks, play pinball all day. That's probably as close as you can get to heaven on earth, if you really like pinball. Demon's Tilt is the first pinball game I played enough to actually complete all the tasks. I learned a lot about the game as I fought evil, magical hermits, bloodthirsty goats, and multi-headed homunculi. The leader of the board is Lilith, who's always trying to kill you. She shoots magic missiles at balls and does other sorts of devious tricks. If you have pretty much any console that's not ancient or a decent PC, you can probably gather your wits and give Demon's Tilt a go. I highly recommend it. Can you tell I didn't have a lot of ideas for the seventh topic this week? Sure, it's pinball, but it does have demons and monsters in it, so it counts. While I've been explaining myself to you, I just lost my third ball. Dang it. That's a wrap on Blank is the Killer 85, Body Takeovers, Reflective Revenge, and Evil Entities. If you dig what I put down, leave a rating and or review on iTunes. Episode 86 will be out on December 13th. I'll try to find some new holiday horror. Until then, if you're on good terms with your mom and she tells you not to visit, there's probably a good reason, like a skinwalker lurking around or something.